This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Calculine. The Calculine is a free tool you can get by simply going to calculine.com. That's C-A-L-C-U-L-I-E-N.com, calculine.com. And it's a free tool that allows you to easily calculate the 45 and 90 day deadlines for notice to owners, liens, and bond claims. No more counting on your fingers to figure out when your notice to owner deadline is or when your lien deadline is. Just go to calculine.com, put in your information, and we'll send one to you for free in the mail. You'll get it in a few days. My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board certified construction attorney here in the state of Florida. And today we're going to talk about three contract provisions that you need to avoid at all costs. So let's get started. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about why your contract matters. Um, and then we're going to get right into the provisions that matter most, which is, um, or the ones that you need to be careful about. Uh, one, not having the right to stop work. Uh, two, short notice uh, or no real opportunities to cure any defaults. And then unilateral rights to accelerate the work. Um, uh, and as I said, we'll answer any questions that you have during the course of the uh, presentation. Go ahead and submit them and we'll answer them at the end. Okay, so why does your contract matter? Why, why are we even having this presentation? The short answer is it's the rule book. It is the, the guiding principle uh, that the parties are supposed to use with respect to this transaction. So the more detailed the contract is, the better off you are gonna be in understanding what to do when certain situations happen. Um, uh, it is usually ignored until there's a dispute and that's when people look in their computers, dust it off and say, okay, we've got this problem. What does the contract say we have to do in this situation? Um, so ideally you are reviewing and negotiating the contract before you sign it uh, so that you're not shocked to find out what the rules are halfway through your project. Um, and the worst case scenario is no one looks at it until there is a dispute and that's when the lawyers look at it and then Again, if you haven't looked at it, there may not be uh, helpful terms in the contract that you were hoping that would be there. Um, in court, almost always, the contract is gonna control the outcome of the case. Not always, but almost always. So let's talk about the very first contract provision that you need to be aware of. Now, depending on what perspective you have on the construction project, um, you know, these provisions may be very helpful to you or more likely very hurtful to you. So we're going to take a look at a contract provision as if you were the subcontractor on the project. Um, so if you're the sub, you want to have the right to stop working if you're not getting paid. But let's take a look at this contract provision that I have on the screen. Subcontractor shall diligently proceed with the work during any dispute even as it relates to payment or changes, the existence of a dispute shall not be grounds for any failure to perform by subcontractor. So if I'm the general contractor, I want to make sure that my subcontractor works 
um, no matter what. Even if there's a dispute regarding payment, changes, issues in the plans, that should not be the reason for the subcontractor to stop working. Now, if you're the sub, this is a very dangerous provision. This means that if you have a payment dispute, maybe you submit a pay request for $100,000 and they don't wanna pay it, or they only wanna pay you $10,000, this provision says you have to keep working no matter what, and that you have to follow the dispute resolution process in the contract, which usually means a meeting, maybe a mediation with a neutral third party, maybe even litigation or arbitration, but you can't stop working. As a sub, this is a problem, right? Because what does it mean for you? It means that you have to keep paying your vendors, paying your employees, paying your overhead, and you may not be getting money coming in. So having the right to stop work as a subcontractor is very important. Having the, a contract provision that forces your subs to keep working if you're a contractor um, obviously is in your best interest. So let's take a look at another provision. Um, if you're the sub that you want to incorporate into your contract, subcontractor can slow or stop work without liability or penalty if it has not been paid its draw request in 30 days after submission. So what does this do? If I'm the sub, this gives me the unequivocal right to stop working if I'm not getting paid. Many times people come to me and they say, well, Alex, if I'm not getting paid, of course I, I have the right to stop working. And that is not always true. As I showed you with that prior contract provision, if you sign a contract that says you have to keep working if you're not getting paid, well, guess what? You have to keep working if you're not getting paid. So you need to amend the contract to deal with that. I've been doing this for more than 20 years. I will tell you that if, uh, if pressed and someone said, okay, Alex, Pick the most important change, one. If you only could make one change for a subcontractor in a contract, what would it be? And I would tell you, it's this one. It's adding the right to stop work if you're not getting paid. You're never gonna change the pay when paid provision. So the contractor is not gonna pay you until the owner pays the contractor. Those provisions typically are never gonna change, but adding the right to stop or slow work if you're not getting paid is a very doable, ask. Um, it may not be 30 days, maybe it's 45 days, maybe it's 60 days. Um, so you can, you know, this language may get tweaked. But the important thing is that if you're not getting paid, at some point, you have the right to stop working. So this is number one, in my opinion. The second most important change, if you're a subcontractor, deals with short or effectively no real notice and opportunity to cure. So let's take a look at a provision and then we can talk about how to fix it. Should subcontractor violate a provision of this agreement or at any time refuse or neglect to supply a sufficient number of skilled workmen or neglect to supply materials of the proper quality or fail in any respect to prosecute the work with promptness and diligence or fail to repair or remediate defective work or materials, or fail in the performance of any of the representations, warranties, or agreements contained herein, which means pretty much everything, contractor shall be entitled upon one calendar day written notice to subcontractor to provide such proper and suitable labor and materials and to deduct the cost thereof from any money then due or that may thereafter become due to subcontractor under this agreement, or at the election of contractor, terminate the employment of the subcontractor. So this provision says, if you do anything wrong as a subcontractor, I as the contractor on one calendar day notice 
can give you, uh, I can supplement your forces, I can uh, hold back money, or I can terminate you. Uh, I mean, one day is effectively nothing. It, it gives you no real substantive rights. And by the way, it's not even one calendar day to cure, not, as if you could even successfully cure an issue in one day. This is just one day notice. So let's take a look at another provision to try to combat that. Contractors shall provide subcontractor 10 calendar days detailed written notice to cure any performance issue or delay or claim or before any payments are delayed or held back or any amounts are chargeable to subcontractor. So the intent of this provision is to say, whoa, let's slow this down. If you think I did something wrong as the subcontractor, you need to give me detailed written notice. You have to say what's wrong with specifics and I should be given 10 calendar days to, to cure that issue. Again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to add written notice, an ability to cure, and we're trying to slow it down. Give me a true opportunity to try to fix the problem before you start backcharging me, uh, supplementing my forces, or terminating me. Um, so this is another very important uh, provision that I would suggest that if you're a subcontractor, uh, or even a sub-subcontractor for that matter. So if I'm a sub-sub and I sign a contract with a subcontractor, all of these issues are still significant and relevant. So let's talk about the third type of provision that you should be very careful of, and that is the unilateral right to accelerate. So let's take a look at another provision. Subcontractor shall accelerate, decelerate, stop, demobilize, and remobilize its men and materials and, and the men and materials under its control to maintain the project schedule as amended by the owner, prime contractor, or contractor, all of which shall be included in the agreement price. So this means that the they can tell you, okay, you know, we need you to remove everything from the site for the next three weeks and then come back. And then six weeks from now they tell you to do the same thing and then they say okay we'll stop working on floor seven and work on floor 10. Um, nope split up all your men uh, and now work on the third floor because that's what's most important to us so they are now controlling the ability uh, effectively the means and methods of your production in a way that may not be convenient or cost effective to you and you effectively agreed that you have to do it all without asking for a change order because all of those stops and starts were included in the agreement price, which probably isn't true. Um, so how to deal with it? Any and all changes in the schedule or delays caused by those other than subcontractor shall be the subject of a change order entitling subcontractor to additional time and compensation. So this is a sample provision to push back on the prior provision to give you some right to make a claim for time and money to the extent that the schedule materially changes and it affects your work and you were not the cause of it. Um, so I would suggest to you that this is a that these three provisions are are important provisions to look at. My proposed changes are not the only ones to make. Uh, some. Uh, my guess is if you propose these changes, you'll get some pushback from the contractor. Uh, but 
the important thing is that you're reading the contract, you're understanding the provisions, you're understanding the risks, and you're making educated proposed changes to the contract so that you can account for the risk associated with the issues we talked about. Um, so let's talk about some other things to keep in mind. Um, it's important that the agreement be in writing. A written agreement means that we can look at something and if there's a dispute, we all understand what the terms and conditions are rather than a verbal agreement where I can say the agreement was one thing and you may say, no, that's not what I agree to. And now we have a fight, not about how to interpret the agreement, but actually what is the agreement to begin with. Um, generally speaking, if a term does not exist in an agreement, it doesn't exist as a term between the party unless you can show that either through the course of conduct of how the people dealt with one another, or there's some other writing that would support your position that, that this issue that is a term of the agreement, if it's not in the agreement, it doesn't exist. Um, keep that in mind, by the way, here's an important point. If you're sitting at the negotiating table with a counterparty and they tell you, well, it doesn't, this contract provision doesn't mean this, or don't worry, we've, we've never had to enforce this, or it doesn't apply, you, you should ignore it. Just know that just because they say it at the deal table, but that provision is still in the agreement or you still have issues with that provision, if they want to enforce it, they can. You cannot go back later and say, well, when we were negotiating this contract, you said, I didn't have to worry about that. A judge is not gonna care about that. They're gonna say, well, you negotiated the contract, you decided to leave it in, and now they're looking to enforce it. Um, written agreements, minimize convenient memories. Uh, obviously having something in writing means that you can now hold it in front of the other person and you can show them, no, this is what we agreed to so that they can't say, no, I never agreed to that. Estimates, bids, quotes, proposals, all of those documents are potentially a contract if nothing else is otherwise executed. So it's important to try to get those documents signed by the other party and to have terms and conditions in those documents so that if that is the only document that ever gets executed, you actually have reasonably sophisticated terms and conditions in the contract. So for example, you can have an estimate and on the back of the estimate, you can have all your terms and conditions or on the second page. And those terms can be, be all the conditions we talked about and others, insurance requirements, indemnification, um, payment terms, the right to recover legal fees and costs, no consequential uh, or delay or liquidated damages, right? So you could put all of these terms and conditions in your estimate. Then when you present the estimate, someone signs it. Well, guess what? You have a contract now. Now, sometimes what happens is that estimate is kind of the beginning of the process and then they hand you another contract and in that other contract it has all different terms and conditions. So just be aware of what you're executing because if you execute a subsequent document that may undermine all of the terms and conditions that may be in your contract. Which gets us to the last point, which is occasionally there are instances when no written agreement is better than a one-sided agreement and I will 
end this presentation with a story. We had a client who was an electrician and they were in the process of negotiating, negotiating a contract with a contractor. And in the course of that negotiation, they um, were doing the work. Month one went by, month two went by. Now they're on month three of the work. And the contractor and, and electrician still had not yet fully negotiated the terms of the agreement. There was lots of changes that were being proposed by um, my client, the electrician. But the contractor said, look, I'm not waiting anymore. If you want your month three draw, which was six figures, it was substantial, you sign my contract or that's it, we're done. My client felt compelled at that point to get that check. He really needed it. So what did he do? He abandoned all of his prior negotiations and he signed that contract that was handed to him so that he could pick up his check. So he goes to their office, signs the contract, doesn't read what he was signing, picks up the check, Fast forward four or five months, and it turns out that many of the terms that he wanted to change were never changed, number one. And number two, the scope of work in the contract had changed from what was originally determined. So there was an additional scope of work. In this case, I think it was an additional generator, some additional wiring and conduit that was needed, You know, a substantial additional amount of the work, and the price didn't change. And in his rush, he signed this contract. Um, and it was very problematic for our legal case because he's a sophisticated contractor and he chose to sign a contract. Um, so arguing after the fact that somehow there was some duress or it shouldn't be enforced um, really didn't go very far. The case ultimately settled uh, between the parties, but know that in that case, had the client come to me before that situation occurred, of course, they came to me much later, I would have told them, don't sign that contract, lean the job for what you're owed if they're not going to pay you, but don't under any circumstances just sign an agreement just because you're being pressured to. So they, in that case, they would have been much better with no written agreement rather than the agreement he ultimately signed to pick up his check. So um, we offer this free tool uh, on our website. You can go to contractdetective.com. Contract Detective is a free artificial intelligence tool where you can upload your construction contract in PDF or Word format, and it will send back to you within a few minutes a uh, highlighted version of your contract where it points out uh, 10 different dangerous contract terms you should be aware of, such as consequential damages, pay when paid, hidden conditions, indemnity, and many others. Um, so you can understand what those provisions mean. They all include a link to a short video, three minutes long, to explain each of those provisions that it identifies. So give it a try. It's completely free, contractdetective.com. Uh, that's all I have. Uh, so thank you very much, everyone, for your time. And if you have any questions, feel free to give me a call or send me an email. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by makemeconditional.com. You sign lots of releases in order to get paid. And best practices suggest that you make every release conditioned on actually receiving that payment. How do you do that? By making the release conditional. Now, some releases are conditional when they're given to you, but in my experience, most are not. So you can make them conditional by adding conditional language. You can do that by handwriting it in every single time, or you can go to 
makemeconditional.com and we will provide for you for free a stamp that you can use that will stamp any release with conditional language so that you can simplify the process. So if you want your absolutely free Make Me Conditional stamp, just go to makemeconditional.com, fill in the information, and in a few days you'll have your free stamp.